You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning once again. Before we begin this morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, that's Old Testament. And while you are doing that, two quick announcements. One is this Saturday, March 7th, we have the Compassion Queen Creek event from 8 to 2. LifePoint will be there in the morning. We are taking care of breakfast for the volunteers and a lot of the people who will show up there early. So if you'd like to come and serve alongside us and help, would you let us know out at the information table that you can be there? We've got all the food covered and we're providing all of that. We just need hands to serve it if you're available. And then lastly, but not least, Our women's retreat is less than two months away. I believe the early bird pricing is one week away, though. So get in there on that and uh, have a great time. Ladies, up at Williams. Daniel 1. I just want to say this before we begin this series. This is the first week on this series that as as we go through Daniel here, my intention and what what I felt like God was wanting us to see were the life lessons of Daniel and the areas of Daniel's life and his book here that apply to you today, the universal truths of Daniel. Now, there is a ton in Daniel about the prophecies and what they mean and future events and do they tie into Revelation and all of that, and that's not what we're going to be doing here on Sunday morning. If you want to do that, there are two small groups currently teaching out of the book of Daniel. And so if you'd like to go more in depth into the theology and the prophecies, then you can do so. But what I really want to focus on is how unbelievably similar our world is today to the world that Daniel was thrown into in exile in Babylon. Sound good? Okay. Even if it doesn't, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Daniel's training. Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That means he attacked it, destroyed it, leveled it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So what we have here, and I'm going to do a little bit of background in history, and hopefully I will make it 
fascinating, as fascinating as it is to me to go through this um, in a brief amount of time, but you need to understand some of the background. If you remember a few weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I talked about how all of the Bible is useful for instruction, reproof, discipline, and righteousness, right? That's what it says, all of it. There's none of it that is not. And I sort of threw out there jokingly, uh, jump anywhere in Chronicles and start reading, and God can teach you. So I woke up the next morning and I thought, I hope I'm right. And so I opened up Chronicles, Second Chronicles is where I started, and I began to read, and uh, I just began to read over the last three weeks. And if you know, Second Chronicles is the history of the kings of Judah, right? The kingdom split, the kingdom of Israel split into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. And so Second Chronicles is all of the kings, the history leading up to this point right here with King Jehoiakim being invaded and the Israelites going into exile, captivity in Babylon. And what's so cool is the whole purpose of this time for me was that it would not be sermon-related reading, that this is my personal devotion with the Lord, not related to a sermon. As a pastor, I've said that's difficult to do. Every time you're reading the Bible, you think, oh, that would be great to say, or this would be excellent to teach. And so this was my personal reading. And then this week, as I really begin to dive into the things that uh, God had been showing me about Daniel and study and commentaries and videos and what I do. All of a sudden, I'm going, oh my goodness. All of my study of Chronicles has paid off. <laughs> yes, somehow God knew in my personal life that I would need this for the sermon life. And so here we have Daniel, and he is living in this time. He is a young man in this time, as you see all of these kings, and you can go, I think First Chronicles says all the kings of the northern kingdom, Israel. And I want, oh, quick trivia, by the way, this is for two jewels on your crown in heaven. I talked it out with St. Peter. Who, there is one time, and I wanted to have this for you, I'll have it up next week, I'm going to have these printed out so you can take this home, it's really fascinating. It's a, a color chart of the lineage of Judah and Israel. And one of the things you can see here is Judah is straight succession the entire way down. Father, son, father, son, father, son. Isn't that wild? And we know that Christ came through which line? Judah, that's right, the lion. See the lion? The lion of Judah. Whereas Israel had people who were murdered, they were usurped, there was treachery and all that other stuff. There is one point in Israel's history where the two connected with, through a king. Does anyone know the king's name? Come on, be brave. Huh? Nope. Nope. Okay, ready? You ready for it? Jehoram. Did anybody get their name from this king? Are there any Jehorams here? <laughs> Maybe Jerome? No? No Jeromes? Jehoram, he married Athalia. Athalia was the daughter of who? This is three, three jewels. This is a big one. She's not very well liked in the Old Testament. Jezebel. Whew. He married, so this southern kingdom of Judah, which was doing really great, although they weren't. Like, they follow God and then they won't. They follow God and then they won't. But for the most part, they were following God. And so Jehoram thought, in, in, a, in a truly good act, he wanted to uh, marry into the northern kingdom to try to bring unity between the two kingdoms. He knew he wasn't supposed to. They were instructed not to. He marries Jezebel's daughter, and that would 
trickle down through the generations and carry on an effect and a negativity and just judgment from the Lord for making that decision. Pretty fascinating, right? And so now it leads us all the way up as you go down. After Jehoram, you've got, let me pull this out because they're hard to always say, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon, Josiah, and uh, then we go to Jehoahaz for a few, I think, months, and then Jehoiakim, and that's where this leads us in Jehoiakim's reign, where Babylon is going to come in and destroy Jerusalem and take captive the Israelite people. And we're not talking like 20,000 people or 80,000 people. We're talking a half a million plus people who are being taken captive. This is huge, a massive undertaking. And so we have this book by Daniel, who is a prophet of the Lord. And we see that he is entering into the king's service. And this is no small thing. And I'll be honest, growing up in church, I never heard or understood Daniel's role quite this way. And for you, this might be new as well, right? I always pictured, as you think of what? What's the number one story you think of with Daniel? The lion's den. Yes, Daniel in the lion's den, right? And he was praying in his room. And then if you've uh, been to Christian school, then what other thing do you know about Daniel? The other big one? The fire with his buddies, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't it funny we know them by their Babylonian names, but we know Daniel by his Jewish name? That's for next week. So there is an interesting... Anyway... So you know that one. And then if you're a super scholar, you know the third famous story from Daniel, which is the king's dream. Writing on the wall is for those who have just been to school. Okay, so you are like a beyond super scholar. Good. (laughs) Right? The king's dream. That's what we're going to look at here this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Because this is what is going to really propel Daniel into his position in the kingdom of Babylon and where the rest of the story is going to go. So you can turn over to Daniel chapter 2. And I am going to pick it up in verse 24. So just to summarize, the king had a dream. It troubled him greatly. He went to his magicians, his sorcerers, his enchanters, and he said, I am troubled by a dream. Tell me what my dream was and then interpret it for me. And they said, uh, no. You tell us the dream and we'll tell you its interpretation and our interpretation will be accurate. And he said, you're all a bunch of liars. If you actually can hear from the gods, then tell me my dream. Have the gods tell you my dream and then give me the interpretation. And they were like, we can't do that. No one can do that. And so he said, okay, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and then I'm going to go to your house and kill your wife and children. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar isn't what we would call nice, but he is king. He is also incredibly brilliant and uh, God is using him for a purpose. So Daniel 2, 24, 35. Daniel, who is one of these, by the way, enchanters, magicians, and sorcerers of the king of Babylon, three years, went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So King Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? 
Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magi magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were laying there, O king, your mind turned to the things to come. The revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because I have greater wisdom than any other living men, but that you, O king, may know the interpretation and you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time, and they became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind, it swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock... The rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the entire earth. Verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all kingdoms and bring them to an end. It will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. There it is twice. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and this interpretation is trustworthy. And then Nebuchadnezzar fell before Daniel, paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God. What an exciting day that we live in the mountain and not the rock. Your kingdom has not come yet, but Lord, your spirit is here. Help us to live in that tension. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel is what we call exilic literature. It means it is literature that is written in the time of exile, like Ezekiel, Esther, parts of Jeremiah, and certain sections of some of the other parts, right? So it's exilic literature. And uh, as the Israelites were taken away by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, what we see here is that they are not just taken away, but that there is a purpose that they become ingratiated into the culture and the arts and the religion of Babylon. The king has hundreds of thousands of people that he has to get to sort of buy in to his lordship. He has to get them to serve and not cause trouble and wars. And so he does something very fascinating. And I don't know if you knew this, because what we always hear about is the time he goes in and basically levels Jerusalem to the ground and takes all the people. Ten years prior to that, he did that in 587, roughly B.C., ten years prior to that, did you know that he sent a small garrison of soldiers in and took the best and the brightest and the most influential and the royalty and took them back to Babylon? He came in. They obviously put up a fight. He fought. 
and took all of the brightest and the smartest ahead. Ten years later, he would attack and destroy Jerusalem, but he went ahead and took them. This is so brilliant, right? You may say a lot of things about Nebuchadnezzar, but he wasn't stupid. If you're going to get a vassal state, a place like Jerusalem, to come under your leadership and your rule, you must first change and assimilate the hearts and the minds of the leaders. Grab a couple of the young men, those who have the most promise, those who are the smartest and the strongest. Get them. That way you've got generational buy-in. So when you take over the rest of the place, it's easy for them to come under your submission. Pretty fascinating, huh? So this is, this is where we're at. And we currently are living in a world that I think it's safe to say here in America is not a Christian state. We can't always say that. More than 60, uh, 70, 80 years ago, this was a Christian country. It was ran on Christian principles. It was founded on Christian principles. Overreachingly, there was Christian themes in our culture, our arts, our media, our schools, all of that, right? And it's been that way since it was founded. In, in fact, there are large parts of Europe where that was the case. They were founded on Christian principles, and Christian principles are what ruled the culture and the arts and jobs and politics and all of that. But we no longer live in that. And so what I want you to see here this morning, and one of the most important things you can get out of the beginning of the story of Daniel, is how does he live in a world and a place that is vastly and starkly against God? that will stand completely in the way of anything God wants to do. How do you live in that world? This is what Daniel's going to show us. How do I live the life of an unbeliever in an unbelieving world? You see, prior to this, even though there were kings who would do bad things and start to serve false gods, just like we've had here, just like every country's going to have, for the most part, it was a Christian nation. Christian, or at the time, Judaism, right? But it was a nation that loved the Lord, the one true God. And so I want you to see that this book, this old book, is not just kind of relevant for you today, but in Daniel's life here, and we're going to see Jeremiah's prophecy, will deliver for you a blueprint exactly how you should enter into the 2020s. First of all, we have to ask ourselves this first question. Daniel has two names, right? Two names. His Hebrew name means God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. God is my judge. The Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, he is given, means Bel is my God. Bel is one of the Babylonian gods. Right? What's their job? Their job is to take these young men and assimilate them. So how are you going to do that? You're going to change their name. Your name is your identity. And especially in this culture and this time, we know we see God change names all the time, right? Abram to Abraham and so on. And so now, King Nebuchadnezzar and his chiefs are going to change the name of these four young men, four very promising, smart young men, into names that assimilate into Babylonian culture. And Daniel, whose name was God is my judge, gets the name Bel is my God. Talk about a coincidence. I don't think so, right? 
So first thing we're going to look at is what's the meaning of the two names? The second thing we're going to look at is what is the meaning of this dream? And again, we're not going to go into, well, is it Rome? Is it Persia? Is it all? You can do all of that in a class, which, by the way, not many people signed up for, so double-check that. Um, we have lots of openings still, but you can find out in a class. And then the third thing is this. What is the rock that strikes the statue? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Okay, the statue has gold and silver and bronze and iron, but it does not have a strong foundation, right? It does not have a strong foundation. So those are the three things we're going to look at. What is the meaning of the two names, the meaning of the dream, and the meaning of the rock? And we've got to do it all within the next four minutes. No, I'm just kidding. We have slightly longer than four minutes. If you want to understand what's going on here with Daniel, you understand the background that I just took you to. And, uh, the, and what we get to is this, is as they've been captured, this first group that was captured, they settled in an area just outside the city of Babylon near uh, Nippur on the Kibar Canal. If you're taking notes, have fun with that. Nippur on the Kibar Canal. And then Jeremiah, I mentioned Jeremiah, Jeremiah records this prophecy that is given to the people around this time by a prophet named Hananiah. And this is in Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah 28. Hananiah is going to come and he is going to give a prophecy to help ease the minds of the Israelites who have been taken away into exile. And he has heard this directly from the Lord, so he is presenting it as if God has given it to him directly. And this was his word summed up basically. I'm going to sum up all of 28. Do not move into the city. We are believers in the wicked, and that is a wicked pagan city. It is the source of the Babylonian culture. Have nothing to do with it. Do not move in there. Do not live there. Pray against it. The prophets foresee God will judge this city and we will come out on top in how long? Two years. Just two years we got to put up with this. Don't worry guys. Two years and we'll be done. How long was it actually? 70. Yes. I love it. Shout out answers. It's okay to be wrong. Have fun with it. Nobody's judging you. I judged a little. I judged a little. I'm kidding. No one's judging you. Thank you for shouting it out. God will judge this city. We will have cultural power. God will judge the city. He will put us back in charge. So pray against it and have nothing to do with the city. This is prophet Hananiah. And it's funny, he said, and if any other prophets come to you and tell you that God is going to bring you peace and prosperity, then you can know they are from God. Does that sound familiar right now? Let me just say this. Hananiah is full of it. Full of what? It. He's full of it. And Jeremiah, as he's doing this in front of Jeremiah, he even takes the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah and breaks it as a symbol. And Jeremiah's like, whoa. It's like one of those situations that you find yourself in where he just sort of backs up slowly and gets out of, like, gets out of there. He's like, nope, that is not from God. I'm a prophet. God didn't tell me that. Sure enough, God comes to Jeremiah and tells him, I did not tell Hananiah that. Remind Hananiah that the wooden yoke he just took off of your neck, I will place an iron one on his neck for the words that he is speaking Whew. But in Jeremiah 29.4, in Jeremiah 29.4, we pick up the message that God actually wants to speak to his people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is Jeremiah now. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. And do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Do you hear me? Pray to the Lord on its behalf. This is so important for us to understand this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen for the dreams which they dream, for the prophets, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans that I have for you, and you guys can all quote the end of that. And the problem is, you want to quote that when Starbucks shuts down in your neighborhood, not when you've been in exile for 70 years, right? Like you pull up to the local Starbucks, and it's got a closed sign, and you're just like, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I'm I'm declaring it. No, you're not. Stop it. That's not what he's talking about. First spend 70 years in exile, and then you can declare that. And so this is what God says, and this is so unbelievably realistic for you and I today. You see, the false prophets went to the outside of the city and said, we will have nothing to do with those disgusting pagans. And then there are those from Israel who came in and just assimilated Right? They just said, let's just look. If you want to live, if you want to survive, if you want to be liked, just get in there, look like them, worship what they worship, do what they do. Don't stand against it. Let's just, you know what? God brought us here, so let's, went in Babylon. You know that phrase, I'm sure. Went in Babylon. And so there's these two views. And what God says to the prophet Jeremiah is, I am doing so much more than that. I want you to see that there is a purpose you are in this city. It is part of my plan that you, as believers in the one true God, would go and be thrown in the middle of this city. At the time, the greatest nation in the world. King Nebuchadnezzar is one of maybe 15 to 20 men in all of human history to have the kind of power that he had. Nobody really. I mean, he was king of the world for the most part, as the civilized world as we knew it. And God says, I'm going to go put you in that city. I refuse to let you believe the only choices you have are assimilation or separation. I deny you those two choices. This is Jeremiah's word. You do not get to do that. I don't want you to decrease. I want you to increase. I want you to get involved. Get involved in the politics. Get involved in business. Start businesses. Have your children get married. Have them have children. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know the people down the street. What is the culture of the area? What are, what's the art like in the area? What's the uh, theology and study in the area? What's the religion in the area? Get to know it. And we say, how can you do that? How, how do I do that? How do I actually go in, immerse myself in the culture, but not be changed by the culture? Isn't it just easier to separate myself? You want to know what the answer is? Yes. It's so much easier. It would be so much easier to separate ourselves. Why do you think false prophets preach that? And that's also how you can tell Jeremiah's prophecy is from the Lord, because it's something we don't want to (laughs) do. Right? Hananiah's prophecy is exactly, if I was a prophet, 
I would, I would prophesy Hananiah's prophecy. God is going to defeat our enemies. We will have prosperity and peace. And this is just a short time. That's what Manton would preach. God said, no, I want you to go into that city. I want you to love those people. And I want them to see in you a supernatural God who is giving them, giving you the power to love them. And I want them to ask about it. I want them to ask you, how are you doing this? How is it you can have joy in the midst of trouble? How is it that you can have love for me even though you are slaves here in Babylon? How, how, how are you doing it? God says, this is my plan. And how did he tell them to do it? What did he say? He said, pray for the city. Seek, it says, seek the peace or the shalom. Shalom just does not mean hi. It's not just a greeting. Shalom literally means, in the Hebrew, well-being, complete and total well-being, blessing and fulfillment, spiritual, physical, and material. So when you shalom someone, you are wishing and praying upon them God's favor and well-being. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, when you go to Babylon and when you are there in exile, you will pray my shalom over these people. But they're wicked. And, and, and they, they hate us. And they're killing us. And they killed our family. And they destroyed your temple. And they have these pagan rituals and orgies and, and sacrifices and things that are just so against everything your law says is wrong. How can I possibly pronounce your goodness to them? Let them die, Lord. Let them rot. That's the human mindset. But God is saying, I don't want you to go into Babylon and build your little churches and all move into one neighborhood. Right? And, and, and only go to certain schools and not interact with them. I want you to go in there and I want you to spread your faith. I want you to love this city. And this is a quote from Keller and I'm going to steal it here because this is so brilliant. I want you to love the city of man for the sake of the city of God. I want you to love the city of man for the sake of God's city. This is hard. I'm not even going to Pretend like that's easy, right? I want you to live in both worlds. I want you to have two names. Catch that? I want you to have two names. I want you to be followers of Yahweh. I want you to remain Israelites. But I want you to also be citizens of Babylon. Friends, we're called to do the same thing right now in a world that is increasingly denying Christ he is calling us to be Christian, but to be citizens of America. Be involved. Don't separate yourself. Don't assimilate. I'll be honest, I missed this next point my whole life growing up, hearing about Daniel. I always thought Daniel lived in some sort of a Christian bubble inside of Babylon, right? Like he was a Christian and he read the King James Bible and he went to the South Northern Baptist Presbyterian Charismatic Church. Like he's a good guy. There's no way that he did anything that all those other magicians and sorcerers did, right? Wrong. Wrong. 
He fully immersed himself in the culture. He was one of the king's trusted magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers. For three years, it says that he studied, and I know some of you are going to be like, no, yes. He studied the arts. He studied the enchantments. He, he practiced praying to the gods. All of it. Can you believe that? I remember when I first read this, I was like, no. No, God kept him from all that, and he somehow passed all of his classes anyway. No. What's really amazing about Daniel is that he was able to do all of that and keep his identity as God's son first, as his foundation. That's what's truly amazing about Daniel. And that is what is for you and I today in this generation. Can you become engaged in your community and social issues, justice issues, political issues? Can you love people who are different? Can you throw off the shadow of religion that has, has covered the American Christian church for so long in the condemnation and judgment and say, no, I will love and I will pray for the shalom of these people, even though they stand in opposition to me and my God. Daniel was a Babylonian sorcerer, but his strength did not come from the spirits or the gods that the others prayed to. He knew where his strength came from. So because of this blueprint in his life, he looked at Jeremiah's prophecy and obviously said, that's who I want to be, didn't he? He saw Hananiah's prophecy, he would have heard Hananiah's prophecy, and then he would have heard Jeremiah rebuke it. And so the blueprint for his life is what Jeremiah preached. You see, we need the city. Christians need the city. It, we need it to humble us, to refine us. We went hundreds of years as a country that loved God and pursued God as a country. It's on our money, right? It was in our schools, public education, private education, that didn't matter, it's in our courts. You put your hand on the word of God. Hundreds of years we went and we upheld this. And then what happened? We got bored and lazy and apathetic and we began to just assimilate. Well, if the culture says this is loving, then I guess it is. So a bunch of us did that. And then this camp over here went the way of the early prophets and said, no, we must separate. It is us versus them. It is the pure versus the defiled, the chosen and the elect versus the hellions. This is what we did. Are you hearing me? About 60 to 80 years ago, it began to break down. We became bored. We lived in a society that was ruled through Christian teaching and thought, and we got bored. We, didn't, we weren't vigilant. We became apathetic about what was going on, and we fell into the assimilation and the resistant camps. And we let go of the tension that God has called us to, which is to believe in the midst of the city. You know that? God is not interested in resolving that tension in your life. Did you know that? He's not interested in resolving it on this side of glory. He actually wants that tension there. He wanted that tension in Daniel's life. He wanted that tension in Queen Esther's life, right? He wants the tension. Because when the tension is there, when the difficulty is there, who do you rely on? Him. 
You rely on him. But when the country's going great and you've just won the Second World War and everything's wonderful and there's jobs and people are getting married and having babies and everything is growing and fine and you've become the new superpower, well, guess what? Thanks, God, for getting us here. We'll, we'll take it from here. Isn't that what we've done? We'll take it from here. We've got a huge military who can touch us. We've got all the natural resources. We don't need anybody else. And we become bored and apathetic. And I believe 100% God has us in a time like Babylon for a purpose. And you can stop praying and asking him to deliver us from it. Instead, let your prayers be, God, help me live like Daniel through it. Isn't that different than what you're hearing at most Christian churches? Wait, no, isn't God going to deliver us? He wouldn't possibly let us good, awesome Christian American Christian men and women be, have anything bad happen to us, would he? I mean, he wouldn't do that. Oh, you bet your bippy he will. And if I knew what a bippy was, I'd explain it, but I don't. You better believe he will. Because in that tension, in the persecution that is on the Christian church and is coming to the Christian church, that's where revival happens. I've heard Christians talk about revival for the last 10 years of being in ministry. Revival's coming, revival's coming, revival's coming. You want to know what comes right before revival? Extreme persecution. Why has no one been talking about that? I don't know. That's point number one. Point number two, which we have no time for. What is the meaning of the dream? Well, like I said, you can go through what the different medals mean and all of that. Uh, that's not what I want to do here today. But the main point of the dream is this, is that the foundation of the statue is weak. The foundation of the statue is weak. And what we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar knew a general interpretation of the dream, didn't he? Why was he freaked out if he didn't already know, huh, you know, I've wanted to build a statue of myself for a long time since I was little Nebuchadnezzar. I've wanted to always have a golden statue of myself. In fact, if you read ahead to Daniel 3, he's going to build one. How tall is it? 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. He's going to do it. And so now he has this dream, and rather than just passing it off as bad grapes, he freaks out and calls all of his magicians in and says, what does it mean? First tell me what it is. Why? Because he knows what it means. He knows that when the foundation is weak, it doesn't matter what's at the top. And so he's bothered by the fact that this tiny little pebble could come in and destroy his massive kingdom that he has built. This is the meaning of the dream. And this is what we do and what we can take from it for you and I today is that we build for ourselves these Dazzling, the Bible described it as dazzling figure. And we build for ourselves these dazzling images, whether it's your career, your intelligence, your schooling, your family, where you live, your, your location in the world, whatever it is. We build for ourselves an image of beauty. I don't care what your doctrine is or your faith or no, no faith, that's what we do. We build for ourselves this image that we want to put forward. 
and what Daniel is teaching Nebuchadnezzar here, what God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar, is that any image that is not founded in the Lord is weak and bound to crumble when war comes. When war comes and the enemy lays siege to your life, if your head and chest area are all beautiful and valuable and even down to the legs were bronze and iron, but your foundation is weak, you will crumble. You will crumble. So that's the main meaning of the dream. What's the meaning of the rock? I told you already, we know that it's Jesus. That in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom and it will never be destroyed. It will never be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end and it will itself endure forever. The rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Three things I want you to see here and then we're gonna close it. The rock which grows into a mountain is the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom that Christ established. We understand that? That is what is happening in this dream. They didn't know it at the time, but this is what we know in our time. And so first thing I want you to see is that the rock is not made from human hands. Twice it says that. A rock was cut out of the mountain that was not made by human hands. That means this was not human ingenuity or craftsmanship, intelligence, none of that. This is something supernatural outside of what man can make. The gold and the bronze and the iron and the silver, that was all what man molded, man made it. Man was intelligent and built it, right? But the rock is very clear, and Daniel is very clear in his description to the king, this was not made by human hands. The second thing is this, the rock is the least valuable material in the dream. The rock is the least valuable. Every other thing in the dream has some value, clay, iron, bronze, silver, and gold. And it's the rock that is going to topple the statue and that is going to grow into the mountain that covers the whole earth. When Jesus Christ came, did he come in the purple robe and in the palace? No, he came as the carpenter's son. Nobody in the line of David, but with none of the royalty of David. He was the least valuable. He was the stone you would throw away that would become the cornerstone of the world. And the third thing I want you to see is that the rock grows into a mountain. But it did not hit the statue as a mountain. It hit the statue when it was a rock. You catch that? It doesn't say that it was carved out of the mountain and as it flew through the air at the statue, it gained size and smashed it, does it? It's like David and Goliath. The pebble hit the weak part of the statue and destroyed it and itself established its own kingdom. And now you and I today live in the time of the mountain, right? They weren't even in the time of the rock yet. They were in the gold head when this was given. We live in the time of the mountain. We live in the time where the knowledge of God actually covers every continent on this earth. And yet it's still not done. There's the fullness. It has not been completed yet. Christ has not returned. And so we live in the knowledge of knowing that God's kingdom has been established. It is here, but it is not complete. That's where you and I live. And now, in America, we get to live like the rest of our brothers and sisters around the world with the tension 
of being the outsiders, with the tension of having to love people who hate us, with the tension of keeping God as our foundation. I'm going to call the band out, and we're going to close here with just a song of worship to the Lord. I'm going to invite our prayer partners forward. Guys, this is really no joke when we talk about this season and this time. And as we go through this book of Daniel, you're going to see stunning similarities to America and Babylon. And sometimes it can feel hopeless and it can feel like, oh, how, how will we ever? No, no, no. Daniel gives us a blueprint for how you will. Do not feel hopeless. Do not be dismayed. Do not feel overburdened. Uh, by seeing a world around you, by hearing of the deaths of Christians, by hearing of the imprisonment of other brothers and sisters around the world and even locally, rather would you take a stand like Daniel took a stand. Say, God, I will love the people around me only that you would uphold me to do it. I will serve those around me only that you uphold me to do it. I will become involved in the lives of those around me that you would uphold me to do it. And Lord, in the midst of it, you will stay my focus and my foundation. You see, one last thing I want to point out. We looked at three things today, the two names, the meaning of the dream, and the stone. When you look at Christ, he fulfills all three of our points. He had two names, God and man, as he was the real son of God, but he became flesh and blood. He is the ultimate dazzling figure but he is golden from top to bottom with no weaknesses. He is the only one that we should bow down and worship. And last of all, Jesus is the rock, the stone that the builders rejected, but has become the cornerstone for the world. Friends, we live in a time where the rock has grown to a mountain. We live in a time where our grandparents and great-grandparents may have lived in a country and a nation that loved the Lord and sought the Lord but we don't. And I felt like what God is saying to me is, well, what are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna assimilate and just say, well, I'll try to love God and do what the world says is good, or are you gonna separate and just want nothing to do with the world until you get to go walk on streets of gold? Or, or are you going to do what Daniel did? And are you going to become a part of society and show people the love of Jesus Christ, amen? I hope we do the third one. Let's pray. Father, we need you for this, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit for this. Daniel did not do this apart from your Holy Spirit. <laughs> but the beauty that we live in, Lord, is your Holy Spirit is available for anyone who would seek it. Lord, lead us in this. Lead us in your love where we are weak and where we are scared and where we are anxious, Lord. Those are just areas that we have not made you the foundation. We have clay and iron. Help us, O oh Lord, to see you, to leave in boldness and wisdom, but a gentleness as the dove. Thank you, Lord. As we come before the Lord in worship here, I encourage you, if you wish to come and receive prayer, our partners up here, if you wish to come and say, Lord, I want to give you my life right here today, our prayer partners are up here.
Would you stand with us as we go to worship the Lord together?